In Colossians chapter number 2, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, uh, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Aren't you thankful that you and I are reconciled back to the Lord because of His completed work on the cross? I'm thankful that the Lord finished it, aren't you? And uh, just sat in Sunday school this morning and Brother Jason emphasized that. He finished. He finished the work. And we're so thankful for the finished work uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is all in all, isn't He? What does the Lord mean to you? How valuable is the Lord to you personally? The Bible says in Colossians, it says many things about our Lord in Colossians. But in Colossians chapter number 3, in verse number 11, the Bible says that Christ is all and in all. Is Christ your all this morning? Back in chapter number 1, the Word of God stresses the need for Christ to have preeminence in our lives. Not just to be one of many things. I don't want Christianity to just be an add-on at the end of my week or the beginning of my week. I want the Lord to be first place in my life. Because that's where He deserves to be. He did not save us for us to put Him last. He saved us so that our lives would revolve around Him. Do you realize that you and I cannot live for Christ if He's not preeminent? It's a waste of time. He's everything, isn't He? Everything that you need for life is found in Jesus. He's not the crutch. He's the foundation. We, we, as, we, as we consider our lives, everything flows to and from Jesus. So the question asks, again, what does Christ mean to you? Is He your all and in all? As, I'm, as we think here this morning, and even in, in chapter number 1, the Bible makes a statement that you and I are to walk worthy of the Lord. It says that ye might walk worthy, in verse number 10, of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And as we come to this book of the Bible, we understand the significance of Christ. We live in some very interesting times, do we not? Perilous times, truly. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is still able. He's still able to save to the uttermost all who will come to Him by faith. And as we consider our lives today, it is possible to continue living for the Lord today. Sometimes we think, well, the world is just too wicked, right? It's too hard. There's too much adversity. There's too much opposition. There's too much persecution. People just don't understand. Well, the darker the night, the brighter the light, friends. And may God help us learn to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would help us to walk worthy of the Lord in all things. And we will not walk worthy, however, if we fail to give Christ preeminence in life. That in all things, the Bible says in chapter 1 and verse 18, that in all things, He might have the preeminence. 
So here's another question that begs to be asked. We say we love the Lord and that we place great value in Christ. Well, that value is determined by the place you give Him. There are so many valuable things that we have today, aren't there? Think of, think of your most prized possessions. Think of your hobbies. Uh, consider what you enjoy, the things that you take pleasure in. Shouldn't Christ be our first source of pleasure in life? For in Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and we are complete in Him. Christians, the world has tricked us. The world has deceived us. The world has caused us to place the emphasis where the Lord never intended the emphasis to be. I can't remember when I said it, but I remember saying it, that so much of what takes place in church has become uh, anthropological. (laughs) I think I said it right. I studied that word all week. Anthropological. Anthropology is a word given to the study of man. Anthropological. As, as, as we come to churches, you know what the average church today is man-centered? It's, not, it's no longer a place where Christ has preeminence. It's a place where people come to be entertained. To have some self-help motivational seminar some comedy club, some routine that has been practiced and repeated four or five times previously that week. There's nothing real about it. Instead of it, Christian, instead of our lives being man-centered, they need to be Christ-centered. Because in all things, He might have the preeminence. And I, I, I beg your forgiveness this morning for redundancy and repetition. But they say repetition is the key to learning. Right? So maybe I ought not ask for forgiveness. But in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, again, there's the key verse of this entire book. The Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, there's something very special to be found in Jesus. It's this life that He gives us. This salvation the Bible describes as so great salvation. It's immeasurable. It's it's invaluable. It's priceless. No true value can ever be placed on salvation because in our human minds we cannot fathom the sacrifice of God Himself as He shed His blood for us upon the cross of Calvary. In chapter number 2, the Bible says in verse 13, look at this verse, please. The Bible says, "...in you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses." We have life today because of Jesus and the forgiveness that He gives. We have life. We were dead as Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath He quickened 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. Yet here, because of His forgiveness, He has quickened us. He's made us alive. In the, he's given us life, this new life. What are we doing with the life that Christ has given to us? As we come to chapter 3, we find the culmination of this book. The first two chapters deal specifically with Christ and who He is. That He is, in fact, the image of the invisible God. The Bible says in verse 9 of chapter 2, "...for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." The Bible describes uh, our salvation in chapter 1 and verse number 27 as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's so many powerful truths concerning Christ represented here in the pages of this book. Yet as we come to chapter 3, we find the practical application of Christ in you. He ought to have preeminence. Our lives ought to revolve around Him. He's forgiven us. He's given us life. And in chapter 3, we find our response. What is your response to the salvation that Christ has given you? What are you doing with it? The Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, in chapter number 3, and verse number 1. And for several weeks, I have encouraged you to mark that statement. Everything flows to that statement and from that statement in this particular book of the Bible. If ye then be risen with Christ, what ought we do? Well, the Bible says we're to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Value, true value, is not found in the abundance of the things we possess. That's a worldly, humanistic idea and philosophy. This life is not all there is, therefore we ought not live for this life. This man's life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The days of our years are numbered. God has set boundaries on our lives, and our lives will never pass beyond the boundaries that God has set. Was it Jim Elliott made the statement as he prepared for ministry among the Aka Indians in Ecuador, who was in the 1940s or 50s, gave his life trying to reach this barbaric tribe in, the, in that Amazon jungle. He made the statement, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, so much we give up to gain things in this world, we forfeit our treasure in heaven just for the pleasures of sin for a season. But God has better for us. God calls us to seek those things that are above, to set our affection on things above, to put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after him that created him, to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, to let the word of God dwell in us richly, and to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Friends, everything we do with our lives is a reflection 
of the place we've given our Lord? What have we done with Him? You see, the Lord has called us to be different, hasn't He? We're salt and light according to Matthew. If our salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth what? Good for nothing. I don't want to be good for nothing. I've been told I was good for nothing too many times, you know. I want to be good for something. As a Christian, don't you want to be good for something? You're here for a reason. God wants to use you. God wants to transform you to the image of His dear Son. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible expresses this truth by saying in verse number 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you ever heard the term mind over matter? How many of you have ever heard that statement? Mind over matter, right? Do you realize the power the mind has on the body? I was thinking just this week about we were listening to, well, yesterday I was listening to uh, an audio book. It's rather graphic in the descriptions that is a Bill O'Reilly book, Killing the Rising Sun. Have you ever read that book? It's interesting. It speaks of how America defeated the Japanese in World War II. And in their island-hopping campaigns, the U.S. Marine Corps, the Navy, how they defeated the Japanese who were ruthless to, be, to keep it mildly. I have no idea how those men did it. As I think about military training, you realize that, that as Christian people, God, uh, this is not the message I had anticipated to preach this morning. <laughs> as Christian people, God describes our Christian lives as being soldiers, that we are to be good soldiers. And Paul fought a good fight. The Bible talks of the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. Even the fiercest soldiers don't come by it naturally. You know what happens when men go into boot camp? They break their minds. There's a reprogramming that takes place. How many of you have ever done something that you felt, I just cannot do this? Anybody... Have you ever, what do you do? Do you stop? Well, yeah, I don't think I can do it, you know. Whether it, you're gripped by fear, or anxiety, or worry, or fatigue, you just feel as if you cannot do it. It's in your mind. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Christians, you can live for the Lord. 
You can do it. But you have to reprogram your mind. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I cannot live for the Lord with the mind of the world. That's why, in order to be transformed, I have to renew my mind. Because my mind is wicked. My mind is corrupt. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The, what is the worst thought you've ever thunk? Right? What's the worst thought you've ever thought? That's who you are. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if God is going to use us, truly use us, we have to come to the place in our lives where we recognize that we can, but only through God. I can't do anything. I'm an ignorant person. But God is able... The Bible speaks of being weary and fainting in your mind. Christian, don't give up. Life, not to be a bearer of bad news, but life is only going to grow increasingly more difficult. You and I, we we live in a society that is completely against God. Do you you realize how much the world system hates you? I'm not trying to discourage you this morning, but rather encourage you to refocus. So much of what the world emphasizes is the the antithesis of God's Word. We live in a society that calls right wrong and wrong right. The Bible describes this in Romans chapter number 1 as the world... uh, Change the truth into a lie. Turn there quickly, please. Romans chapter. Romans chapter number one. I believe that this is the state of maybe not only our society, but of our world at this moment in history. And you think, what can be done? The Bible says in verse number 20, it says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But became what? Vain in their imaginations. Again, going back to the mind. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. While our society has, will maybe not so much as bow down to a graven image, oh, they bow down to something. They bow down to man. We live in a humanistic society which tells us that we are our own gods and that you and I, we can do as we please, how we please, when we please, and if we please. That we can actually serve ourselves and that truth is relative. Truth is relative to what you think. In other words... In today's society, I make truth what I want truth to be. Yesterday on our way home from Michigan, my wife and I were having a conversation. And we were talking and she, she found this article and she read it to me because it's not safe for me to read and drive at the same time. And uh, about, a, about a recent shift, and I'm not for psychiatry by any means. That's humanistic and man-centered. Sigmund Freud is reprobate. But in clinical psychology over the last 10 years, they have seen a shift in what people desire. Years ago, people would come to a clinical psychologist and ask him to help them change to be a better person. And now, in 2021, they now find that people don't want to change, they want to change other people. Because we're perfectly content with who we are. I'm not the problem here. You are the problem. So they say. Where does all of this come from? It comes from the sinful mind. The, the, the thinking, the theory that truth is relative. And now in our public education, there's more indoctrination than education. There's a, there is a massive push today in our society to deny the true founding of our nation. You realize you cannot find even in rural America, our school boards have been overrun with extremist liberals. The ideas that, that Antifa espouses, Black Lives Matter, it's corrupt. 
It's anti-God at its core. How did we get where we are teaching this critical race theory? We failed. But there's still hope. Because Jesus is alive. Because the Bible is still true. There is hope today. And the Word of God continues in Romans chapter two or chapter one. The Bible says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. You see a lot of that today. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Christians, Jesus is still the answer. And you, if you have a Bible in your hand today, you have, your, you have the answer. Right. So what must we do as God's people? We need to beg God for mercy. If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, we'll pray for revival Don't stop praying for revival. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. When you hear the words of God, when you read the words of God, do you fear? We ought to fear. We ought to cower not for fright, but for reverence. One of the greatest messages that was ever preached from a pulpit in colonial America was a sermon entitled, Sinners in the hands of an angry God. As I've heard thy speech and was afraid. He makes a statement. He begs God. And he says, O Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Our response to God ought to be a plea, a beg, cry for mercy. That God would stir our hearts. That God would strengthen our hearts. That God would help us have revival. And that in turn, God would extend His mercy to His people. As I look around this room today, I see something. I see the solution. Do you understand that you're the solution to the problem? 
that you and I, we, this church, is the answer. It may not be the answer that you hope for, but it's the answer that God has given. You may ask yourself, well, Pastor, how am I the answer? I'm glad you asked. I'm about to tell you. You can pray. See, so oftentimes we, we pray for the answer that God would come in, that God would, would do a work, that we would just sit idly by on our hands and, ooh, thank you, Lord. But the answer is the local church. Not sitting idly by. Not growing more and more complacent. Not becoming more and more fatalistic. Well, what's going to be is going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm just as burdened for America. I'm just as burdened for this world as the next person. But friends, God's the answer. And God has called the church to do something for Him. I am not a big fan of the United Way philosophies that perhaps the modern church would hold to. But rather, the first century model that God has given go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christians, as we consider the work of God in our lives and in our hearts, God has called us to do something. I listened to a sermon recently about the First Great Awakening. During the First Great Awakening, there was a man by the name of George Whitfield that would preach in New England. And at the age of 39, this gentleman, not George Whitfield, a gentleman named Shubal Stearns, attended one of these meetings. He was a Congregationalist. In other words, he believed in infant baptism, baptismal regeneration, which the Word of God clearly teaches against. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. This man became a, a separate Baptist, which is pretty much what we are today at the core. The Lord led this man, Shubal Stearns, to move down to the Virginias, North Carolina, South Carolina, and begin to work for the Lord. And eventually, he settled in a place 
called Sandy Creek, North Carolina. And from that little church, Sandy Creek Church, the Bible Belt was formed. In his heyday, that Sandy Creek Church had 600 members. But persecution came. And in just a few short years, that church had 16 people. What happened? The church went everywhere preaching the gospel. They scattered throughout the South. It was estimated that in just a few years, that church, which had 600 in membership, gave way to churches and associations of churches that had 70,000 people in membership. What happened? They were not silent. And they did not stand idly by and allow things to take place that they didn't agree with. They actually rebelled. And some of them were even killed in a battle with the local government, the regulators. Interesting. I did not intend to preach this this morning. You have to come back tonight to hear this morning's message. But Christians, you and I are the answer. You know the hope of Columbus? You know what, the, what is the hope of Columbus? The Lord Jesus Christ. In local churches like this, planted all around this city. That's the hope of Columbus. Columbus is the 14th largest city in America. How many of you knew that? The 14th largest city in America. That's, that's up there on the list. I was in my hometown this week. No traffic at all. That was great. I thought, man, I can get, man, I can get where I need to be in like two minutes. This is awesome, you know. Two minutes would take 15 here, you know, all the traffic and stoplights. There are people here from all around the world that need the Lord. There are hurting people everywhere. People held in bondage by addiction. People held in bondage by sin. That only Christ can reach. And this morning... What I would like to encourage you to do is pray with me. That God would enable us to reach more people with the gospel. 
that God would burden our hearts. That the Lord would help us say, you know what? Let me get, let me get beyond my thinking that maybe I'm too old or I'm too young or, or I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do this or I just flat out can't. Let's get beyond that. Because you can. We can. Not because we're anything great, but because our Lord is. And He's called us to. May God burden our hearts. May God give us greater urgency. I don't know if you know this or not, but the local church is not a country club. It's not a place where we gather and just... I mean, there's a place where we gather and encourage one another, but this isn't the church... I mean, this isn't, what, this isn't the end of church right here, what you see. Turn to Ephesians, please. In Ephesians chapter number 4, we notice what is supposed to take place. You see, today, day, Sundays are intended to help us every other day of the week. Sunday isn't the end. Sunday is the beginning. The Bible says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, And He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Note, in verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, you come to church to grow so you can take what you've learned and share it with other people outside the walls of this building. This is not the end. This is the beginning. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's a lot of false doctrine out there today. You come to church, and by God's grace here, you hear sound doctrine. And the Bible says in verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What does that mean? It means you're here for a reason. You're part of this church for a reason. And every one of us together, working together, Make the body grow by the grace of God. Christians, Jesus is all in all. What place have you given Him? The place you've given the Lord 
is reflected in everything you do in life. I know you're here this morning, so you know I'm not preaching at you when I say this. It's reflected in our church attendance. It is. You're here this morning. Praise the Lord. You know. It's reflected in our church attendance. It's reflected in how we interact with our families in our homes. It's reflected in how we carry, carry ourselves at work. What kind of employee we are. What kind of employer we are. It's evident in every facet of life. But may God help us contribute to the solution and not sit idly by and complain and grumble about how the problem is only getting worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving, being deceived. Christians, you and I have hope today. We know the Lord is our Savior. We have the Word of God as our guide. And we have the local church for encouragement and help along the way. By God's grace, we can do something. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that that you and I can make a difference in the world in which we live? We can, but before we can, we've got to be convinced that Christ can. Are you convinced that Christ can? Do you believe it? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Will you serve Him? Will you give God His rightful place? Will you allow the Lord to use your life? Will you no longer sit idly by? Will you get off the sideline, get in the game? It's the fourth quarter, people. It it might even be the two-minute warning. There's not much time left. By God's grace, we can reach this world with the gospel. Who's with me? Let's all stand to our feet this morning.